You're in an old-fashioned pub. Every pub in this town, you didn't dress that pub up to look like that. And the problem was there was 50% fees out of what was earned, and the other expenses came out the other 50%. If you look at the independent scene in the States, they don't care about any of that. In the room, 52 Jokers Wild. So welcome, folks, to another episode of In The Room with Garvin and George. Uh, it's a Friday again, and this week our guest is Podrick Brennan of Bren Enterprise Films, who's made a feature film recently called Don't Sell Me A Dog. And again, like always, we probably won't get chatting about that, but we'll be talking about the ins and outs of how he may have gone around making it, which I think should be fun. So welcome to the show, Podrick. How's it going? And oh, tell us a little bit about the film anyway, just before we do get going, and then we'll go off. <laughs> it's a horror story, we believe, is it? Is it? Uh, no. Not at all, yeah. No, yeah. no, we've got the wrong genre already. <laughs> it's, um, it's a crime thriller, a road movie, um, about two drug addicts that uh, rob their, their boss of his cash and his drugs in the hope of starting a new life. And uh, they the try to hijack an OIP car, um, but uh, Joe, the old guy in the car, just, you're not having it. End the story. Not taking the car. So they just, they end up embarking on this mad um, road trip and they start to bond. Well, two of the characters start to bond. Um, but there's all, they all have lies. They all have secrets. And uh, some secrets are bigger than the other. You have to watch the film to see who's the biggest who has the biggest secrets? So- George, I started watching last night. Now, I told Corrick I'd watch it. I, I, I see we, we were Skyping back and forth or writing back and forth. I think it's one in the morning. I think men come alive about 1.30 in the morning when they wake up <laughs> on the sofa from watching sort of back-to-back Netflix. And then I said, look, I have to do my homework. George says, do your homework. Would you, for God's sake, at least watch the film? First line out, George <laughs> Mouth is the wrong genre. You know, yep, so we know he it. didn't watch the film. No, you know, I, I actually movie. got five minutes into it. No, I tell you, it was terrible because I found the link. I think it was Vimeo and Plex. Yes. And one of them was looking for a dollar off me. I said, I affect that. I don't think he's worth a dollar just yet. I'll go to, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's Plex. Might be, I'll have to watch a couple of ads. Yeah. But I mean, I'm doing this on my phone at about 1.30 in the morning last mm. night. And I got ten, I got into the old lad and the and the, the start of the journey and the girl and the guy and the drug lord and all the rest of it. I says, right, I'm getting into this. But I forgot it was 1.45 in the morning. And I, I that's it. I was asleep in five minutes. Nothing to do with the film. Was, so I have to go back to it. So I'm just warning you now, neither of us have done the research. We haven't watched the film. <laughs> But the version but that Garvin will. actually got we to will. see, the version that Garvin got to see was more weird than your version, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, that was a dreams. horror. No, that wasn't a horror. No, no. So it started off well, and I have every intention. I have every intention. <laughs> I think it's just the horror of a day that we had yesterday. Yeah, that was yeah. all. No, we were, we were still, yeah, we were still getting over yesterday in shock. We're looking at you, <laughs> and I'm going, I wouldn't be expecting the crime thriller. I would have been expecting the Sons of Anarchy. They're going, why yeah, not Holly the Davidson's. Sons of Anarchy in Kildare? <laughs> yeah, no, um, God, how, how do you answer that? I, a few years ago, I did write that. I, I wrote that whole um, 
crime series TV about a biker gang in Ireland with undercover cops and everything. And I pitched it to a certain TV station. And the reply I got was, sorry, but you're about six months too late. We have something starting this September. And that became a phenomenal hit. What started that September? Was that love, hate or something else, sir? Yes, it was. (laughs) Oh, I hate to love and I love to hate. But a so great thing was that. you got a nice that was that was a very nice PFO. Yeah, yes. that was uh but Jesus now, had you have only come here last week, it would have yeah. been you. So yeah. it wasn't a no, it was just maybe next time. Yeah, you missed the board. <laughs> yeah. Now where you actually was the strange thing was an awful lot of us had the right story, the right time. We were mulling yeah. it over nine drafts in. Did yeah. you actually have it the previous year? And that's just you just didn't get the pitch in time. Oh, Can I just I, answer something there just beforehand? Because I, I wrote a film about the spy that lies with me, and it was about a guy that worked in a supermarket, Sainsbury's, and how it turned out his family were spies. And this girl comes in who, who's a spy that needs his help, and it turns out all kinds of crazy stuff. The normalized screen turned it down, and the next thing came out was um, an, uh, an American TV series that ran for about three series uh, called uh, Chuck. That was that story. <laughs> so, sorry, I'll let you carry on there. Sorry. Well, yeah, to answer what Garvin was saying, yes, I had written that, I think, the previous year. Um, and we had done a, a, a teaser for it. If I remember correctly, we put it into the Kildare film nursery that year and we, we got shortlisted and whatnot. So, yeah, I had that a while and... I, I had spent uh, time in a bike club in the previous life. So I, no, 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 you'd never know. Not at all. No, there'd be no belief in that one. No, okay, okay. I, I, I won't now, the that. question is, <laughs> is it a, a Honda 50 or are we talking some mother load of a, no, of a Harley D yeah. Generation X something? You're, you're, talking, you're talking proper club life. Um, yeah. I, I love Sons of Anarchy to go back to what you were asking I, I really yeah. enjoyed it it was a great series very good yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't really really true to life yeah. do you know what I mean there, there's, a, there's a great book by a guy called Jay Dobbins He's a, he was an undercover ATF agent and he gives you what it's like in the clubs yeah. you know and, that, and that's what we we called our one under uh, under um, was the name of our series and we, we tried to be real to it. Now, my business partner at the time, his sister is a cop. So we, we had that side of the world from her ah. and we kept it as real as we could with their side. Mm. And then from my experience, we had all the bike world side and from people I knew and contacts I had. So we tried to, to keep it. And then obviously all the research we did into the into the bigger clubs around the world and the, the motor gangs in Asia and that. So... Now, there's a gang culture, but the weird thing is, now, now I've no, I know nothing about this at all, but the little bit of interaction I had with it was, I had the perception, I, I, Mother God, this is crime lords on wheels. But when I actually, I was somewhere and a bunch of them pulled in for double chocolate chip muffin in our coffee shop. And uh, what pulled down the row was Ferraris on two wheels pulling in. And every second person was a neurosurgeon this, dentist that, and hello! Yep. There wasn't a crime lord no. or drug lord among them. I was very disappointed. 
I'm very relieved at the same time. My cousin's turning up at half past 12 on his bike, but they've traveled over from England on and his wife. And they're, they're, they're touring around going to see their son. And they've been using bikes for, yeah, ever since I can remember. That's part of the family sort of tradition. My son now has a cafe racer that he made of a Kawasaki 600 of some nature. And he's going around Canada on that now, meeting up with people. And it's helping him with his uh, psychology, you know, getting him out, getting him to meet people, yeah. getting him to socialize. And chatting with all these other guys that have modified their bikes. So, so I'm planning to get a bike at some point. <laughs> so I'm going to get back to it. So you've done that's the Son of Anarchy. You, did, yeah. you had that story, but love and hate robbed it off. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to go out, get to, get to sue them later. I'm sure one of your fellow riders is a lawyer, solicitor, barrister type anyway. Oh, so we'll get back to that one. And you, you had, we're back to Don't Sell Me a Dog. And like, you know, there's always a doggy in the window having a little smile and barking at you. But I'm sure there's nothing to do with that. We know there's like a dog could be anything. And normally it's, you know, you know it's it, it could be a dog of a car, a dog of a house. You know, don't, don't sell me a pup or don't sell me a dog. Is there? No, because we didn't watch the film and didn't do our homework. You know, what's, 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 <laughs> what does don't sell me a dog actually mean in this connotation? Right. So, so don't sell me a dog is um, Victorian slang. Don't, don't tell me lies. Uh, what used to go on in Victorian times was, um, you'd have these guys selling mutts as pedigree show yeah. dogs. So that, that's where the phrase comes from. And that, that's, as I said earlier, that, that's what the film is about. It's, it's, it's filled with lies and double truths and all these um, things that we say in everyday life that aren't true, but we push yeah. them as true to hide the skeletons in our closet. You know, so... And... The funny thing is, when we wrote Dog, when Mark and myself sat down to, to develop Dog and, and to get it on paper, um, we started out with a very different story. And then um, one of the actors said to us, you know, the, the old guy in this is quite creepy. And as a female, I would never, ever bond with this guy because he is so creepy. So Mark and myself went off and we're like, okay, let's 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 use that and rewrite bits of it. And so we ended up with we we had initially I think called it old Joe and the girl or something silly like that. And by the time we got to the end of the rewrites, um, I had discovered this term "don't sell me a dog," and I said it to Mark. I said, "Look, I think we're going to call it this." And when I explained to Mark what it meant, he was like, "Yeah, that, that's 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 our film." You know, that's it. No, actually, let's stick to that for a second. Is that not the whole industry? Oh, that's completely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get in lots of trouble now. <laughs> no, 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 no. We want it because the only way we're going to get noticed is there's no point in being yes men or, or yes women or yes persons or whatever or whatever the fuck it is. It's we got a we're so we had this conversation before. Like everyone's saying yes, we need to be saying no. You know, yeah. or like, or, or so, and say yes to the right thing, and no, no to what doesn't work, and don't be feeding people's egos and promising, oh, we'll be back to you. We, we never, you know, we when? Well, there's no date on that. It's open. Or so there's not. There's an awful lot of encouragement with no end times and dates of, oh, go off and you write that script and you do that, and and sure we look at it then, and then you're going, you've done all the work, and then they go, ah, no, it's not. We're not interested in that. So there's risk and reward passing back between different people where they'll take the reward when you pitch it to them if they recognize it as being they can make something out of it, but they'll keep on pushing the risk back. It's all your risk till 
tilders or a ward that they can recognize. There's a, no, there's a little bit more sharing needs to go on, in my opinion, in the industry of, of risk-reward relationship so we can get more stuff done or finance. But at the same time, not, there's a lot more winners than losers. There's too many people in these too many queues, like 300 writers pitching for funding for a short Three yeah. people might get it. 297 don't even get a PFO. They don't even get an email. They don't even get, where am I? Was I close? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's an industry that we're courting at the moment, which is it's, it's the disenfranchised. It's the ones further down the queue a little bit, which are quality. They're just maybe five people away. The door closed, but they were, at, they were near enough to the top of the queue. But the queue then restarts the following year. And you don't know where you are again. You're not back in the same position. So you've got to rejoin the queue for the same thing again with a different story or the same story and, and go reinvent the wheel a second, third, fourth time every year till you get your turn and you may never get your turn. And the great thing about yourself was you can't wait for that anymore. You just, you, you said it to me a number of times, you've just got to start doing it. Yeah. It might be shoestring, but you can't be waiting around anymore. Yeah, well, did you work out? Did you work out a budget for the script fairly quickly? No. Or what was the score? No. I, I, I even for the next film that we're we're in pre-production on, budget is the last thing. I'm sorry, Gar. Budget is the last thing I think about. Right. And, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the reason I do that, right? If, if if you sit down and start thinking about budget when you start writing your script. All you're going to write is two guys in a room talking to one another. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, 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 budget doesn't come into it. And what I said to Mark about don't send me a dog was, I said, right, Mark, this is what we have. We have a car and we have access to actors. So write me a film with a car and four actors. And that's now, I'm going to fire you, no, Pork, because the thing is, you said you had you no car. No house, no room, no friends. So you, the strange thing is, you're coming from the you're, you're putting your you have two hats on. You're going. I am the creative. I'm writing. There's no budget. But had you been you in your day job, you're going. Don't ring me unless you have your budget because this is my day job. <laughs> so you're actually a split personality here. Which is you no. Know, the great thing about what we're coming across is you've the last number of people we've been speaking to have moved out of the silo of the one role and they've wanted now to be actually have a movie made, be it small, be yes. it big, be it otherwise. And they, un they now understand I've got, actually, they've actually all moved into writing because they're coming more from the film business side of things going, I know what it's going to take to make this. I know what skill sets we have. Now we've got to write it to fit. You just said in a sentence, we're writing it to fit what we have. Not, yes. So there's element of creativity, but not you're, you, you are very aware of what you're writing and the effect that it will have on lack of budget, if you did, yeah. if that makes sense. And, and, and my tagline is making movies with what I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that follows me on social media will see that. And look, I, I, I think we've all, as filmmakers, we, we've all got stuck in this dream of having six, seven, eight, nine million to make a film. Unless you have a product to show people, you're not going to make squat, did you? Yeah. So you you got to get off your bum. I did an acting course years and years ago. And the, the, the school's motto was, don't dare to dream, right? So I took that and I was like, get off your arse and do it. So mind your yeah, dare to dream, you know? Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be dreaming. So, you got to be, act yeah. 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 The very first yeah. one of our shows was act action is act. Yeah. yeah. It's I'm, true. I'm, 
going back to what we were saying. So, yeah, I told Mark. I said, Mark, we have a car, we have actors. Write me a story. We came up with our story. And we've kind of done that with the next film as well. Um, but with Dog, as you said, if I didn't have a car, how would I have done it? It would have been four people out camping who came across these two drug dealers. Yep. So I would have found a way to do it. And I think as a, a filmmaker, leaving, leaving the producer hat and all that side over there, as a creative, I, if I, if I want to make something, I'll find a way. I, I knocked an actor down four or five years ago on a short film with no stuntman or anything. I found a way to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think yeah. Yeah. If, you're, if you're going to make something and if you want a product to show people, then you've got to be creative because apparently that's what we are. So you got to look at ways, well, what can I do? And then I, I love, I, I had, I had a, a conversation with, a, with a, a, a new filmmaker recently and they were complaining about not having equipment. And I said, you're talking to me on a smartphone. There's a good camera on it. Now yeah. all you need is a microphone. Go make your film. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we look at it like that here. I think we're, we're caught up in having the best equipment, having the most money, having this actor, having this. So while if you look at the independent scene in the States, they don't care about any of that. They make their movies with what they have and they sell their movies. Yeah. I remember on one of the films that we were doing, um, we needed a track and dolly system. And one of the, the actors was going off to do a gig somewhere. So we couldn't shoot one weekend. So that weekend I went down to B&Q bought a whole load of 32 mil tubing and got a couple of old uh, skateboards and butchered them and stuck them together. And there I have my track, a 36 foot track and dolly system, which he managed to use in that little film. So we were being creative. I think the other thing is also is that now one, you, you do have to generate an income for yourself, but the other side of it is if you're waiting to, if you wait too long, the years will go past very quickly and you need to get the, you need to keep doing something to keep alive. And even if one thing doesn't work, then keep on doing another because you can still put your time. Like I said, my, my son has put time into converting a motorbike and that's his passion. So it doesn't cost him, it costs him a little bit, but he's generating the income to do that. And I think, you know, filmmakers are doing the same thing. Their custom bike is their movie that they're making in some form or fashion. And they want to be able to do something with it, you know, just get it out there to an audience. Uh, and it's trying to get that reality of how to mix it with the industry. And you're right. Most filmmakers are never going to get big budgets to make the movies. They will after they've shown their worth uh, and made something and demonstrated it and managed to get it out there and get an audience for it, but not until that happens. So you are kind of having to invest in yourself to, to achieve those kind of goals. So I remember uh, not so long ago, <clears throat> probably in the last year, we had a conversation you and you were talking about um, a car hull that you had where you could either put a screen, not we're using green screen today, but you were actually going to do projection. Did you use yeah. any of those techniques in the film? We, we, we did experiment with it and we set it all up in the, in the garage that we had it. And we ran tests and that. I wasn't overly happy with it. I think our projectors weren't strong enough. Um, we, we needed brighter projection. But it did work. And there's some pictures of that. And I think there might even be a clip up on YouTube of some of the tests we did. And again, quite simple to do. I bought those projectors on eBay. I think they were 25 or 30 quid each. 
Brilliant. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. And work and and I I probably will use it at some stage just to to make some sort of a stylized picture yeah. and and just to have fun with a film and you know and and do it. But again, look what you were saying there about time going by. I I've done that. Like they, this is don't tell me a dog is my fourth attempt at making a picture film. Yeah, which is the last time I was speaking to you, Porik, you had no beard. So I mean, the the, the, the actual time that's gone by, Father Time <laughs> has been visiting you, and it's like it's it, you can see you're aging by the minute. Even just putting up with us on this show, you're growing old. Listening to this shit. <laughs> but no, I, I what I love about the fact is now I'm lazy. I, I I my day is broken into you know maybe work nine to well somewhere in the nine to five arena after sixteen cups of coffee, find ten minutes of work. And then the evenings for relaxing from the work I may have done during the day. But I'm on I'm back to back Netflix. I'm watching Netflix. You're making Netflix while I'm watching Netflix. You know, the great your day, the great thing is the creatives are, you know, I, I think I've no time. There's four hours a day in the evening that yeah. I could be working in film, on film, or pro- doing something to do with it. But as a, as a, not as more work, but as you said, as a creative or as coming up with a new project or making those relationships that you're getting those people together. Or if you're just walking the grounds and going, I've got, I've got a, you know, right on lawnmower and I've got this and I've got the other and we can do a Forrest Gump with this piece over here. It's, I looked at, I admit the first 10 minutes of what I saw of the show. You know, I, I'm now looking at this with my artist eye of, as you said, the accountant is going budget. You have no money because you have no money. And I'm looking, going, he's walking from the garage. I think he was getting petrol, you know, and like that, that, I just, so someone obviously pressed play or record. And then you, you got, he, he, he was in, you were in the very, very beginning. He was in, you were in an old fashioned pub. Every pub in this town, you didn't dress that pub up to look like that. To throw no. it back to the 1970s, no. they looked like look that like here. That. So, yeah. I mean, all you had to do was go into a country pub and go, gee, the, the Americans will love it. He must have spent a fortune. No, you went to the bottom of the road, you ordered 30 quid of petrol, and you went into the pub for a pint and you asked the guy behind you to start, playing, start recording. And you had a conversation. It was, and it's atmospheric. It's brilliant. It looks as if you actually set up the whole damn thing. We managed to do that in Fiddler's Walk as well, because in Fiddler's Walk, we got an exterior pub. The guy had a house that was set up as a pub, so he wasn't using it. And we were able to go in there, film it. And all the upstairs was some location four miles away. So we can made create the illusion of this big building out of three or four buildings that we were given to us. And it didn't cost us anything. And, and that's the thing. Like, that, that garage in that open sea um, is a half mile down the road for me. And I just went in and said it him. And it's funny, it's, it's, I have shot other stuff there before that they've recently refurbed it and, and renovated it. But I just walked in and said, you know, I want to shoot a film outside. We won't get in the way of customers, you know, and, that, and I explained what the scene was. And they were like, yeah, just as long as you give us a credit on the film. The same with the pub that's um, owned by a guy here in Carlo, who's an optician, Bernard Jennings. It's, it's a private club that he runs, I think, twice a month for musicians and artists to go in and do stuff. And again, as you said, we did absolutely nothing with that. Yeah. It's done. It, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I, 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 I think a lot of filmmakers think when they go to a location that the location is going to go well. 
you know, how much money you're going to give us. Whereas if you went and explained the whole process to them and say, look, there's going to be a crew of one, as there was yeah. on top of myself. There's going to be three cast members and we're going to be here for an entire day. But we only want to use that section there, you know, and work away. They don't mind. Yeah. I, did, I did a science fiction film back in 2011, I think it was. And we shut down half of a shopping centre during the day to shoot yeah. it. The cafe in the shopping centre said to me afterwards, that is our best day ever, profit-wise. Oh, because wow. people were coming in, sitting down, having a coffee, watching us. We were doing stunts that day where we sent one girl way up in the rafters of the, the shopping centre and we pulled another guy off and set his steps backwards. So they were in there, they were drinking coffee, watching us setting it up. They were seeing how the movies are made. They were seeing yeah. professional stunt guys. Cafe owner was delighted. Super quick. We went in. Well, that's back to, that's back to uh, what's enchanted up there now in, uh, in Ascari. Yeah. It's a yeah. tourist attract. Enniscurry was not, it was okay. It surely got dressed up and every building was painted yeah. and every, every hotel was, you know, booked for about a month or two beforehand. But in the meantime, everyone in this country that had a kid was on a tourist bus yeah. Sunday afternoon jant up to Enchanted. It is a tourist attraction. Any, as you said, if you saw a camera across the road in any town, village, or city, you cannot help. It's a magnet. It people oh, yeah. they just yeah. need the head will jerk and they will look or they will stop or slow down or take a photograph or a bit of social media of themselves and they'll see if they can see a star or, or, or something. It is. It, there's, it's an industry and it also has a tourism attraction effect wherever it is. So we, that's the great thing about in Ireland now. If we start making, actually every little local regional county council wants to draw you to their region yeah. under two yeah. headings, that film yeah. tourism dollar and the actual, well, the local team and local crew will, will you know, please use ours as opposed to someone else's. But you have that power to go make, go do and decide where. And literally it's a car. You get in the car and you can drive and you can find this 200 locations on your doorstep that you can call your own holiday of, during the summer and have by the end of it, have a film. We did that with Phyllis Walk because again, we toured around the, the mountains of Morn. We stopped in Kilkeel and we asked if we could use a little restaurant and there were yeah. buses of Americans piling in. So all we had to do is ADR afterwards and use what we had as a guide track and it worked. And the same thing happened again with another little film on his crest where we needed a little restaurant in 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 Uri. But we have had a situation where we asked someone that had a uh, a big um, warehouse if we could just use a corner of it for uh, a disability film and they wanted to charge us three grand a day. And we went, yeah. nope. <laughs> so we managed to find a little village hall that was happy enough and we set up green screen. We shot it there instead. Didn't cost a penny. So there well, are there's ways the givers and, and takers, George. You don't oh, realize absolutely. one bunch yeah. are seeing it, you owe me and the others are going, geez, this is great. I'll get the kids. Can we be in the background waving? You know, yeah. it's... And that's it. it. It's just a matter of opening your mouth and using your words, as I said. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Just go ask. All you can say is no. So you're 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 on your next one now. That's the thing. You, you, we we had a chat beforehand, and it was, "Don't sell me a dog." Was X, but now you have a couple of people you were courting over the last while that believe this is yeah. this is a common theme with an awful lot of people. Look, 
you've done your proof of pudding, you're in the industry, you have your skill set, you're moving into a couple of different roles, which is from writer, producer, director, on top of being multi-cameraman. I actually even chucked in at this sentence that you were actually doing acting before. So I was quite, <laughs> are you in this movie more to the point? Because I haven't got that far in yet. Are you in there too? No, yeah, well, if <laughs> my days in front of camera are limited to interviews. <laughs> no, no, yeah. How I think you have that face, or maybe you don't have that face. That's why you have that beard. We don't know, but <laughs> you're definitely like when we put this one out. You're going, no, no, that's a character. That we yes. just should be. We, yes. you're, you are a caricature. You're actually you're a caricature of yourself, and I think I'm a caricature. Actually, George is doing Muppets and Fraggles and puppets oh, of me left, right, and things. center in the background. Yeah. I think we need to be characters of ourselves. There's, there's no more, you're, you're not getting clean shaven and putting a suit on from now to the day you die to go get a job. This is it. This is you. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to pick up on what you were, you were hinting at there, when, when, about two years ago, myself and Mark pitched another film to, to investors, because I know that's where you were going. Um, you can see I love talking about myself. Um, so we, we went talking to these investors and the big thing we got was, what have you done and how are you going to get bums on seats? And then you can understand why they're protecting their investment. They want to see an ROI, right? That's, that's the producer side of things. So, so when we started on, like, we, we have two other good scripts there that have got attention from people, but it's always come back to, what have you done? Where's the bums on seats coming from? So, and that, that led to dog. Um, the beginning of the first lockdown, I, I think I, I was at the point where it was, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to give up this because it's only a hobby. It's never going to pay for itself. And I, I can't remember, to, to use a, a film term, I can't remember what the inciting incident was, but I, I said to, to Mark, write the script for Doc. We went through everything and we wrote it. We made it and edited and got it there. But while, while I was doing that, I, I, I remember being with a production company um, at a meeting with the film board a few years ago for, I think it was the, 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 the media funding European media. Yes. Um, and I remember the film board said to us that day, when you get out of here, you have to remember one thing, keep on hustling. That stuck with me. So I was like, right, so we're doing dog. So I started approaching distributors, sales agents. And as far as I was concerned, I was selling a Hollywood production, even though I knew it wasn't or anywhere close to it. Um, and we got interest and we got them talking and blagged our way through it and we got interest. You were selling dogs and puppies left, right and centre by the sounds of it. We were <laughs> and, and we got interest from this tribute, right? A lot of blagging, a lot of the Irish blagging went on. Um, and we did get, a, we got a couple of offers, but I wasn't happy with any of them. So I decided with self-distribution. That, that's, that's a lot of work on its own. Um, but from that, going back to what we started with, from that, someone that had been around my films a lot over the last few years, I pitched them the idea for the next film and they went, yeah, grand, and put their hand in their pocket. So by having that product, I now had something that I could go, well, we've done this, have a look at it, see what you think. 
bear in mind, I had no money. I was it. I was trying to do everything, record sound, record picture, look after continuity, look after costume, look after special effects, look after the rigging of the camera on the car, making sure the cast were safe, making sure they were fed, everything. So they looked at it, they enjoyed it, and they went, right, Grant, let's, let's do this. What's, what's your next film? What's your plan? They liked it, and that's where that came from. You were going out there with a minimum viable product. You, I think we did a course together way back in the past. Yeah. That minimum viable MVP is also known as the minimum value proposition. So when yeah. you start going, I've got the product, but now what's the value of the product in terms of if we get it out there, you're immediately talking their language of bums on. Start. The value proposition of that viable product is you can get the value out of it, and that's a bum on seat. And you're going to get your money back, break even, or do it again. So even in that sentence, the minimum viable product, this was a budget to get the minimum viable product so it can have a minimum value, so I can get a bum on seat, so I can do it again, or I can pitch bigger. So you are beautifully wrapped in the language of Business 101. And you understood, if I don't make it, and it doesn't get seen, then the whole thing self-implodes. You yes. know, and therefore, we want to do it again. We don't, not only want to do it again, we want to do it the way it was meant to be done in the first place, which is bigger and right, with actually budget and money and getting lots of bums on seats. So we always have this great intent. But you, even at the beginning of this sentence, it was, it was someone else's money. Because if we don't have it and we're not putting it in, it can't be bigger without this someone else's money scenario. And all they're interested in is bums on seats. Yes. And, and like... It's, it's great someone gives you a lot of cash right and you make your product but then you got to think about that whole back end how the hell am I going to give them back their money yes, yes. how am I going to give them back that agreed percentage on top of their money so and I think we spoke about this before Darwin um, there's not a lot of people telling filmmakers how to do that so you've yeah. got to learn it You've got to look at it and you've got to go, well, how do I sell it? How do I generate it? Now, dog is a big, huge, massive experiment for me. Yeah. Um, so we, we have dog out now. It's on, it's on Vimeo, it's on Plex, and it'll be coming to other platforms, hopefully, in the near future. But I have literally, and pardon the language, but I know you don't mind, I have hoard dog everywhere. I... People are fed up, I'd say, looking at Dog at this So that dog is a bit of a bitch, is she now? Yes, she is. She's well (laughs) out there. Well open for business, as they say. So the the biggest coup we've had today with Dog, and it's only been on the market for three weeks, is it's now on the most popular selection on Plex. That in itself is a huge selling point for for any investor. It has that perception that, well, it's almost popular. People are obviously watching it. This guy is getting an income from it. So, yeah, give him a few quid. We have a fair chance of getting it back. But to get it to that point, we, we've had to spend countless hours sending it out to get reviews, sending it out to people to get them to review it on IMDb. We, we got onto the newspapers. We have a whole page in the local newspaper today about the film and how it was made and all that. So there's this whole marketing and the stuff that we have to do to get it. I'm hearing brilliant stuff here, Pori, because that was the one bit 
that we weren't hearing from others throughout my interaction with the, with the industry was, you're talking to production companies, they were saying, we're, we're production, we're operations, we're not sales or marketing. Oh, distribution is the agent. Oh, there's no budget for that because we got the budget for production. And, you yeah. know, and so therefore, if we're raising funds, it could be a million for production. It might be half a million for marketing because marketing is not sales and distribution. Marketing is marketing. And marketing now is social. You've, they're not even the same thing. We're going, oh, I'm a social media expert. Oh, I'm a Twitter expert. You're an Instagram one. Oh, I'm paying per click. You're SEO. And these aren't the same people. And, I, and there's an awful lot of people out there who goes, oh, give me your marketing budget, which is, let's say, here's 100 grand. And they're going off using pay-per-click. You go, I can spend 100 grand on pay-per-click myself. Thank you very much. It's not very difficult to do that. That's not actually getting anything organic, the growing a customer base and attracting it. That's spending money on Facebook ads. You know, that, so brings me back, that brings me back to why we didn't take any of the distribution deals we were offered. Because this is another thing that people don't tell you about. These marketers, these sales agents and distributors put marketing caps and expenses, expenses into their yeah. budget. So, yeah. like, let's say our film costs 10 grand to make. Some of these guys were saying to us, we're going to have expenses of marketing of 60, 70, $80,000. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, but hold on, that now means that this film has to make over a hundred grand, we start seeing an email yes. back. Yes, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and, and I've spoke to loads of filmmakers in the States that have had really bad experiences with distributors. Oh yeah, they took our film. No one told us about this marketing cap of 120,000. We spent 20 grand on the film and we haven't seen a penny. But now they own the film for the next 15 years. Yes, yes. Never yeah, seen. yeah, yeah. And we, we, I actually saw a, I saw a distribution uh, agreement a few years back, which was being offered for Fiddler's Walk. And the problem was there was 50% fees out of what was earned and the other expenses came out the other 50%. So you found that you, you could never actually get any money back at all, even, and that's because we've heard the Blair Witch being talked about quite a few times, which made 14,000, 14, times, 100 times it's the normal kind of thing. But that that's the blip that shouldn't actually be there. So yeah. so what have you found yourself doing to try and, you know, you, you, you're now taking on that distributor's role. So you're the producer, but now you're becoming the distributor. So how are you managing that side of it? And how is it affecting the rest of your filmmaking? So we, we've put, um, don't sell me a dog, and Crafty Irish documentary we made. They're, they're with a company called Filmo. Um, and they're a marketplace. So you, you'll have all these VRD platforms coming to them and looking, they'll get a list with 20 films on it maybe every week and they'll look at it and say, okay, that kind of suits our platform. So, so what you do then, what, what, once you see it going on a platform, so we'll, we'll use Plex because that's where we are at the moment. The minute I saw Plex had taken that, every day I checked Plex to see was it gone live. The minute it went live, I grabbed that, URL and it went everywhere. I put it up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, you name it, it was up on there. Job done, I wish. So then we had to start driving traffic to those posts. So everything that I do um, at the moment is in the morning I get up, I check all the social media platforms, see if I have likes, if I have likes, I'll say thanks or respond to them in some way. 
And then I'll put out a new post. Oh, look at this. We did one recently with Mark, the writer, and a, a quote from a review saying he wrote it in two months. And it's a great crime yarn. So I put a picture up with him, made it look nice, blah, blah, put it out, and we promote it and put it forward. So you're constantly doing that in the background. Yeah. Why that this is, is brilliant. <clears throat> Porrick, this is brilliant. Well, as I said, I'm an old man. Well, my wife, my kids, like, <laughs> you're just an old, bald bloke. You know, like, when are you retiring? Or actually, when are you start? But <laughs> we're, we're, I was an accountant. George was production. You were production. Now the three of us are going, how's my Instagram account doing here now? And, you know, should we be TikToking? Uh, my, my children are going, if I feckin' see you on TikTok, that's the end of it. I won't be able to go down the road. This is the 18-year-olds and 16-year-olds. And I'm going, I've got a TikTok account, but we haven't gone live with it yet. But yeah, we haven't done anything. This is where suddenly you're going, yes, if we can just become a little bit more of an expert, and we're the wrong people, again, we're doing it ourselves because there is no other staff member. There is no budget for other, some other staff member. Therefore, the tools are there. There's training sort of videos up left, right, and center. We may not have broke the algorithm on YouTube, but by God, there are tools to the planet that if we have content, in your case, we've got unique content, then if you start putting it out and we just get hit the right connection or, or something, you're, you, we have a better chance than you've ever had in the last two millennia to, get, to break that, get to the end audience. And now you're going, you, you said it in the beginning of that sentence, we're about to circumvent sales and distribution. That's fine for the big boys. But when they're asking for 50% and you spend 10 million, mm. it, the more you spent, the less they're probably asking for. But that's because the more power you probably have behind you in terms of, you know, you know named actors and this, that, and the other. But the little guy is being milked to death, took the highest risk. His investor took the highest risk. And they're removing any chance of you getting it back. And even the actual Netflixes and Amazons are now giving you a couple of hundred grand, maybe buy you out, lock you out of every territory on the planet because that's their customer base. So it really does say you can get, if you keep it this low, not low, maybe a couple of hundred grand and you have this route to market and you learn those tricks of trade in social media, then this, the, the weird thing is you've got the best chance on the planet of actually getting that money back by becoming the distributor and create having your marketing down and getting that route to market of your own audience. Can I, can I just ask a question there? Because I think yeah. something that's coming out of what Garvin's talking about is, um, and it's sort of uh, appealing to me at this point, is how do you minimize the risk to, to what you're doing yourself? Because at the end of the day, we generate an income so we can live, but we also want to do something we enjoy. And one of the things I found was I, I wanted to make the films, but I had to get a job to pay the mortgage. And I had to do things. And it's trying to balance that. How do you minimize your risk to the life that you need to keep on doing just to get by through the techniques you're using for one for filmmaking, but also for distribution purposes? Good time management. Good time That's, management. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I, I do corporate videos as well, and I do a bit of social media for different companies around. But I, I knew I was going to shoot dark during the lockdown. So I blocked out my eight days and I said, right, these eight days, you're not going to get me. So, you know, don't, don't even bother ringing me. And I let my few clients know, I say, look, guys, those eight days, I'm gone. So that, that how, how you can't, by, with, with the film, I can't minimize the risk because you don't know what's going to happen with it. It, it could be a flop. 
and there could be a, a smash. So what I do is I, I basically try and block out what I'm going to do. So at the minute, I'm very quiet in the corporate sector. There's not a whole lot happening. Um, so I know my next film now I, I can block off. I think we have scheduled 10 days to shoot yeah. the next one, which is two days more. Yeah. Thanks for a good <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. And how did you find doing that? Because, oh, I mean, really what I'm, because one of the things that I found was that I, I made, I shot two, two features. I've shot a documentary and the, the risk that I, it was the same with all the cast and crew. Uh, a lot of them came to me and we said, look, you know, as long as it's not affecting your income working on this, yes. we will block you in. And they were quite happy because that it didn't affect them going off. In fact, in the, in the making of film, we had one of the main actresses who's now a big name, Bronoir, uh, basically sort of ringing a boss and say, I'm going to be about half an hour late. They're about to finish in about 10 minutes. Isn't that right, George? Well, maybe an hour and a half. No, no, half an hour. And I'll be on the road because I've got the keys to the restaurant. And if you can't open the restaurant, oh, we had to get out there. So oh, you, if that, I mean, it's those kind of things just saying, right, OK, we'll get this done and then you go. But be careful because she'd already had a, a problem with the police coming down and sort of ended up hurting herself somehow. But we had. But those are the things that I was kind of looking at, because really, once we'd minimized that risk, people were willing to help because they knew it wasn't going to affect them financially. They knew it wasn't going to affect them in any other way. And we made it, if you like, safe for them to yeah. actually work on this project. And those are the kind of things I'm kind of, because you're talking about the same kind of language, really. You're, you're trying to make it safe so that that environment, you can be creative, but you know that it's really going to be minimal cost as much as possible so that your investors don't have to put so much money in it or, or you're the main investors in that case, and it's kind of so, recognizing that idea. Would you, would so, you, is that something similar to what you'd think about? Yeah, so with, with Dog, what we agreed with the, the cast um, was a, a fee for the project. Yeah. And I, I explained exactly. Our, our initial plan with, with Dog was to shoot everything straight through the windscreen of the car and not move the camera at all. So it would have been like a little chamber piece. And any action that happened outside the car would happen at the back of it or just off screen and we'd just hear a dialogue. That was our initial plan. So because I knew I was shooting them myself, um, I had scheduled it in a way that I could do it in, in the eight days. And yeah. the only reason I knew I could do it that way was because I was never going to put the camera down. It was going to be on the shoulder from start to finish or it was going to be on the bonnet of the car from start to finish. Now, I gave the cast a monumental task in that <laughs> our, our initial idea was, right, let's do this as a one-take movie over the eight days, from start to finish every day until we get that. No toilet breaks. You're going nowhere. <laughs> We're locking into that car. It's like the American competitions. Yeah. You, you yeah. stayed in the car. If you got out, you lost the car. If you stay in long enough, you win it. So yeah. you pretty much go, Absolutely. if you leave this car, you're out of the film, but yeah. we're not moving. So, <laughs> so is, was it was it sixteen hour day types? No, I kept, I kept it to a twelve hour seven to seven. Same as seven most to seven. Movies. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I didn't say that there were very lax days. seven to seven day. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, I one one thing I like to do on my sets is I like to make it fun. So we're always yes. having a bit of a laugh. It's yeah. always really relaxed. Yeah. There's never pressure on anyone. To, to perform. It has to be a really, really safe, friendly, fun environment. Because if yeah. it's not, 
you're you're dead in the water as it is. And I worked on a couple of sets, one in particular, where the director was a complete and utter a-hole and no one enjoyed the experience. That's it. That's it. I you mean, my, my lead actress uh, on Fiddler's Walk, she she enjoyed the process so much, but she went on to a horror movie afterwards and they were working crazy hours and she screamed at the producer because he hadn't organized what they, they hadn't made a safe environment. There was expect expectations to it. So I kind of love what you're talking about because you're you are talking about that risk free environment to make sure that people do feel safe. And once they feel safe, they end up giving more. I think they give a really they, they become they enjoy the process. So they become more natural and you can end up getting a lot out of them, which I think is, is really quite good. But I think, uh, I mean, what, I, what I'm loving about the conversation is is because it's inspiring me. I mean, we had a conversation with somebody else recently and he was saying, you know, you, you are, your, your commitment to your crew is to make sure that you deliver what you promised, which is the end film. And one of the problems I've got is I've worked on a film for uh, 12 years now, <laughs> which is really tough. Right? I haven't actually looked at it for a year and a half and, and one of the problems I've got in the editing is it's all gone out of sync, so I've got to rework it again. And I got it fairly close to finishing. But again, this was one of the issues of trying to do everything yourself. Nobody could come on board to do some of the back-end stuff. I still had to do that. And, and I still feel there's a commitment to, to make sure the film is there. It's not the best of movies, but I think I can turn it into something. So I'm going to try and spend a little bit of time, it's find the, a few hours yeah. to get it finished, you know. And, and that's key to it, George, because... What you now are doing is you're following out on that commitment. All right, it yes. might be taken 12 years, but that cast and that crew are going to have that product by the end of it. Um, yeah. And that, that's something I was very conscious of with Doc, because a couple of years ago, we had another film that we made. We had, I think it was about 15 minutes left to shoot the end sequence to shoot. And one of our main cast refused to come back, walked away from the project, because they were out of pocket. Now, I learned yeah. a very, very valuable lesson on that. Yes. No matter what you do, even, right, dog, dog, we say dog had no budget. It did have a small, a very small budget where everyone was compensated for time. But that was because I didn't want anyone to walk away from it. And I wanted yeah. to make sure that we got to the end of it. Um, right. So on that other project, we had spent... God, I, I think we had spent about the best part of three, three and a half weeks shooting it. Um, yep. and, and we did that in a way it was, George, are you free Friday night? Yes, I'm free Friday night. Yes. Yeah. Right, let, let's get a couple of things done. And that's how we did it. And and like we we had we had a good little film. Yes. Coming together. And if we had shot the end of it and got that last 15 minutes we would have had a good little first feature film to get out there. We would have learned a hell of a lot from it. And we'd probably be having a different conversation today. Right. But being very conscious of that on Dog meant that the cast were super well looked after, or at least I yes. hope they felt they were looked after. Yeah, we, we sorted accommodation for them so they didn't have to travel back and forth to Dublin. We made sure they were well fed. They had everything they wanted. If they were tired on set, they were told, all right, take a break. There's yes. no hand. We'll get it yeah. done as we get it done. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think that's very important. 
um, done. Well, that that well, that's what happened with the, the, the movie that I'm still working on because I am still passionate about it. My dad died in the middle of it. Okay, in the middle of the editing of it, I, I remember working on some of the animation when, as my dad was sort of you know ill, and I was sort of there looking after him, uh, and and it kind of kept me going. And then and then when he did die, you know, it, I was doing lots of animation. I, I I put too much into the special effects side of it. But what, but what I found was that when I showed it, some of the youngsters, 18-year-olds, they actually liked it. Although it wasn't Hollywood, it yeah. still was enough to capture their imagination and it still had some kind of meaning. So I kind of I'm, I'm kind of want to get back to make it finish, but I don't want it to get in the way of other productions that we're trying to get going. Because I do think that based on the experiences that we've had throughout, we are trying to develop the Film Production Academy so that we can have these films and can set it to a certain budget level, but also want to make sure that we go through a process, a pre-production process to make sure that we can create an environment that's safe, that we know that we can manage the budget for the day and have professionals working with us, but also slow that down. So we're going to have something like, we're going to have 10 weeks of filming, <laughs> which is probably more than what most people have, but it gives us that scope to do a little bit of something and get some nice professional shots coming in or whatever. But also I like the idea that you were talking about. Um, sometimes the kind of guerrilla filmmaking is really quite exciting. Getting out there with the camera and just shooting something and try, and then editing together to make a story as part of the sequence is so important. You, you have that whole um, genre of improv films. Um, I think the, the latest incarnation of it is um, uh, folk filmmaking. Yeah. Where, where they, they literally just go out and they say, right, this is a story about A, B, and C. Yeah. And they just run with it until they haven't made it. And then they cut it all together. And there's one guy on YouTube, Dan Lotz, very interesting guy. He's after releasing four or five of these improv films on YouTube for free. Right. And they're yeah. doing really, really well. Yes. Um, and now I've looked at one of them, uh, Chlorine, I think it was called. It's about a hitman. Fantastic film. And he yeah. made it by himself as well. But right. then... You, you have the other side of the coin. You have Cosmos, yes. which is an independent production as well. Took five years for, for the Weaver brothers to make. And it was just two brothers and three friends. Yeah. And yeah. they made it. Their mum even helped out as crew on that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it, 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 it always baffles me why so many filmmakers are... <gasps> I can't make my film because I don't have this and I don't yeah. have that. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes waiting, like George um, George Lucas waited to make his movies. And one of the things that I'm, I, I mean, one of the problems I was having was what do I do about music? I tried to get some composers involved. It didn't quite happen. Well, I've now got Logic Pro on my Mac and I've already started creating music. I play, I've learned to play the violin and other kind of instruments recently. And I'm kind of going, right, I can now create an orchestra and have that playing in my movie. And, I, and, and because I've learned a few chords, I can just do stuff that would populate the film and get it to the point where I can finish. Not only that, I've suddenly started to discover there was there's a crowd scene in my movie and the characters could almost be animated, but I've shot live actions where I had the track and dolly. But I can now use some of the Adobe products to, to, to uh, create, I can create a character in Blender, yeah. have him sort of like a T-shape, and I can get all the movements because I've done it with Garvin. So in one of our little promos, we had Garvin doing a somersault 
I can now use that facility to get these characters warp, put them in and actually sort of move the cameras to match the camera of the live action stuff to create like a crowd. So I'm kind of going, that's exciting. And I'll do that at some point to make that happen because I do want to make, I, I don't know what will happen to the film. It was shot in, it was shot 1440 by 1080. It wasn't shot the normal 1920, yeah. but it'll st I still make it and get it done and get it out there. Even if it's on YouTube, just so they can see that there's your movie. We did get it finished. Sorry it took so long, but we're also moving into other productions. So if I can get that done in the next year, I'd be quite happy. Before I'm 60, that'd be fantastic <laughs> just to see to see what happens. But it is it is it is fascinating to to have an opportunity to talk to somebody about the film and about their process because we're gleaning so much to help us with our modeling of our film production academy. But are there other things that you th you've mentioned about uh, that? The filmmakers need to just get have a go. Are there any other things that you would advise filmmakers to be thinking about about the process of, you know, how long is the process for you in writing your scripts, getting the shoot done, the editing, and then the distribution? Right. So Doug from will say from from the day we decided to start writing it to the day we finished editing it was exactly a year. Yeah. Um. Well, but. What I've learned from Dog, now Dog will be with me forever and a day because I will always be marketing it. And the same with Crafty. Like at the minute, it's saturation marketing and just everything is going out for Dog, Dog, yeah. Dog, everything. Um, but that, that will come to the point when we release our next movie, that next movie will be the saturation for the marketing that we'll do, but we'll still be pushing the other products as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so how long is the process? Look, to be quite honest, what a lot of filmmakers don't realise is just because you start writing the script today doesn't mean you shouldn't start marketing it today and thinking about yes. that. Yeah. And, I, and I think a lot, of, a lot of filmmakers seem to be caught up in this idea that, great, I'm shooting a feature film, it's my first one, it's going to be brilliant, and I'm going to send it out to film festivals. Yes, yeah. And they, this is where my producer hat comes on and goes, that's just an expense that will yield very little return on yeah. that investment. Right yeah. Now, I know we all pick out El Mariachi, we all pick out Paranormal, we all pick out Blair Witch. They're blips in the system. Yes, you and that's what I keep saying to people. You know, you know, don't go... I mean, even the stuff that I've studied about how, you know, sort of doing the business plan for a film says don't use any of those movies because they're just anomalies. You know, you've got to you've got to be realistic with with what you're trying to do with the films. But it is an area where you, you learn so much with in in the production side of it, the post-production, trying to get all that side. And there's there's an equal amount that you need to learn to get distributing and, and marketing. And that's an area that I'm I personally don't feel that I know a great deal. You're you're asking me there about the process from start to finish. And as I was saying we we were pretty quick with dogs and we wrote it and edited it within a year. And then we then I started thinking about well, how am I going to market it? How am I going to distribute it? What am I going to do with it? Now I had a, a fair idea that I was going to go with Film Hub because I had experimented with the crafty Irish and Film Hub and that. And that worked out pretty well. Happy with it. But then I started looking. And I suppose I, I use our next film as an example. Like 
we're, we're, we're finishing the script at the moment, but I've already started marketing that to distributors and to sales agents without a completed script. So I'm just selling them the idea. Um, but I've also started approaching cinema chains to see if, if, if I end up self-distributing this, can I get a, a limited theatrical run, even if it's only here in Ireland? Do you know what I mean? It's still yeah. it's better than nothing. Um, so what, what I've been finding is th- there's very few film courses out there that are covering the back end of the process. So everyone knows how oh, to sure. So, Are you calling the back end, the front end? The front end of any business is sales and marketing distribution. The back end is production. Are you actually yeah. calling the, the front end the back end? Here yeah, so I, I, I reversed it here because yeah. everyone is familiar with production, with how to write a script, how to shoot a movie, how to pause production in a movie. But everyone seems to think the holy grail of a finished movie is sending it out to film festivals. But that's, that's as I was saying earlier, George, that, that's having the producers had a, that's another expense that yields no yeah. return. Carvin will be delighted with that as the accountant. I love this language. <laughs> it had a trainee accountant in the mix. It's brilliant. Right. But you see, and this is what I mean. No filmmaker is thinking about what do I do with my product once I have it. Yeah. We're looking at it. Hey, I finished the film. It's great. Send it out to film festivals. Someone will see it. Someone will offer me the big deal. Not going to happen. Blair Witch, uh, Paranormal Activity, El Mariachi, all blips in the system. Forget about them. So what you got to do, we said it earlier, you got to have a brand, you got to have a product. So what, what we've started to do with our next movie is it's a horror. So we know the genre. We know where to find the audience because horror is a very popular genre. So we're already mixing in groups of our horror film that we know the subject will appeal to. Um, We've started talking about movies, not our movie, but we've started talking with these people about movies in this subject. And they're coming back with stuff like, oh, why is it always this way? And, you know, we all think it should be this way. And, so we're kind of molding our product to what the consumer is hoping to ah, see. Ah, lovely. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, You're listening yeah. to who's yeah. listening. To Daryl, you can't talk to the million. So they're going, we've already spoken to them. We've already sent them previous stuff. What yeah. they've spoke back to us through viewership is, we like horror. We will watch. We'll hang on for 20 minutes before we give up and give it a better chance. But if we hang on, we'll come back. We'll watch it again. This So it has its audience. And they're the route to it. And you're close. Listen to them and build for the with the audience in mind. And that's you now yeah. the great. You you mentioned the word you know, and it just resonate with me for a second. It was yeah, filmmaker. If you're a filmmaker, you make the product. You didn't say film seller, film marketeer, film. You're getting closer. Because your whole persona is changing and you've took on these other multi-hyphenates of, actually, hold on a second, I'm the investor. Now I've got to work backwards. Well, I want an ROI for myself. I'll just talk to myself here, turn around and go, right, Porrick, as an investor in me, you, Porrick, I want you to tell me what you're going to do about marketing to get to the audience. 
Now, I know you can make it because I've already spoken to you earlier about making. You can sort that bit. I'm going to give you a very limited budget as me as an investor. But now, with the bums on seats in mind, us as marketeer, business, business entrepreneur, trust you as maker. But there's no point in making it if we don't sell it. Yeah, one of the things that we're noticing through, again, talking to a number of people, is that quite often the producers or the filmmakers are, are sort of throwing their hands up and say, that's not my job. They go and they, they want somebody else to fix that problem. But until they get used to fixing the problems themselves, they're never really going to move forward with their particular productions. But George, 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 the interesting thing there. there was, as worker in the industry, you're right, it's not your job. It's not your job as cameraman to be set, to be working out pay-per-click and SEO and, and, and Instagram. You know, but if you're entrepreneur in the production producer on you're in the business of film and there's no role you can leave out in the whole holistic business sphere unless you've got a budget for it and somebody else yeah. is doing it that but job exists we're... and will always exist and in the holistic if so if no one's doing it the yeah. whole thing falls asunder and you don't get the end game to do it again I think the reality is that they have to be responsible for that part of the process, which they're actually neglecting, which I think is the issue. Sorry, Padraig, you were about to say something. There's a guy in the States, Alex Ferrara is his name, and he kind of praised the filmpreneur. And that's what you have to do. Now you have it. I I, I was trying to come up with it there, and I was going, uh, filmmate, I've gone through words in my mind. I I actually nearly got it. I said, (laughs) I said, filmpreneur, I just didn't get rid of the couple of letters in between. It it was a natural arrival. Yeah, you have to be the scriptwriter, you have to be the director, the cameraman, the sound person. You've got to be all these hats to get your product made. But then you've got to be the PR company. You've got to be the marketing guy. You've got to be the sales agent. You've got to be the distributor. So what, what, what that guy recommends you do is you niche down to an area that you can yeah, find. Now you own it. You're, you are in, in, in the middle of this show. You touched on the mat because we mentioned this other chap fellows. Like, I don't have to. I don't have to remember his name. I don't have to look it up now. One of these days, I keep on quoting a guy. I can't remember his name. But <laughs> you know, Stephen Fellows. I'm hopeless, Stephen Fellows. But Stephen it's not fellows. Stephen Fellows. There's some per- person that we're going to make up and call Stephen Fellows. And what he does is he, he researches the whole industry. We mentioned there was a bloodbath of genre bar chart there released a couple of weeks ago from his 20 years of knowing the industry and researching it. And horror, and we said this to this Sean Bretnick, and yeah. we said like we got it from you know Sean and you know, Yolanda. Horror, horror all day long knows its audience. Its audience knows it. And yeah. zombie, it will seek it out. It will find it if you just put the word in there. They will find you. They will watch you. They'll give you the time of day, and, and they might even give you a dollar. And, and therefore, they're there. So if you're doing something all day long with the best chance, you've said it. It's a, it's a micro horror. It's as few moving parts as possible. And it's to get that frightability in the mind of the audience that they filled in the CGI. And we're in business. Yeah. And like, yeah. I did that whole leash down thing with the crafty Irish. It's about the craft brewing industry in Ireland. But I went so niche on that that even people in the industry are like, God, that's a lot to take in. So we went too niche. Nice. So what we're doing now with the horror movie is we found it. We know where our audience is. And we've looked at it. We've listened to them. And we've gone through the rigmarole. We're writing the script. It's nearly done. And 
as I was saying, I've already started approaching these distributors. I've told them what the movie is. I've approached cinema chains. LinkedIn is your best friend when you're looking for who runs what. Go do a bit of research. You'll find it. Reach out to them. We've done that with cinema chains. We haven't got a no, we haven't got a yes. What we've got is, yeah, we look at it. We prefer to deal with distributors, but we have dealt with self-distributing filmmakers before. Yeah, personalities can break through. The horses are all there on LinkedIn, but as I said, if they're there, you have a million people will try and their inboxes are full because they found our name, but they, they need to filter you back out. But therefore, yeah. if you're in this industry, the strange thing is you make a little bit of noise on Ireland, you're visible on the world stage and social media. The LinkedIn is not you're going to say hello, just connect. But then you can feed in. If you've got that connection, you don't sell. Your, your, con, your little bit of viability of your content and how you pitch it indirectly in front of them is what will grab their attention. That's the game now is you're doing it. You're, you're, you're on your social media channel. You like the LinkedIn. You're connected to the people you want to, you, that you want to see it. But you're not advertising. You're going to just turn up in front of them. So when you do ask, they're already subliminally aware because you were in their you were in their timeline already and you broke into it. And that's the game we're actually playing now. And that's what we're doing as well. And oh, you're yes. doing it in front of us every yeah. other day of the week. We're, we see your dog. We see your, your craft, the Irish, because we connected, but you're feeding our news feed with not you, but your stuff is standing out. It's grabbing attention and you're not selling, but you are. Yeah, and when you're reaching out to these people, this is, this is a key thing that I learned from Clubhouse. You don't know, like, I'm not going to reach out to Gargan straight away because you're in the production academy. Yeah, like, yeah you've turned on me call 10 times now, Parik. I can see <laughs> that. I've got the message. <laughs> but I'm not going to reach out to you and go, Garvin, I have this fantastic movie that's going to cost a million quid to make. Will you make it? Because... I, I think you used to use the expression with me. You're, you're just handing me a bloody bill. Man. So what I do is I reach out and I will ask a question as opposed to saying, will you give me this or will you give me that? So when I reach out to cinema chains, for example, I say, hi, guys, have you dealt with self-distributing filmmakers in the past? And if so, what's the process? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not asking for anything. I'm trying to bring value yeah. to them. They're offering yeah. their customers by offering them a product. But again, going back to what we said, if you don't have a product, you can't offer them squat diddly. So you automatically become, again, to use Garvin's expression, a bill. And that, that's not what people want. Anyway, folks, I'm going to come back in there. This has been a really, really fascinating show this week because... Boric, you've actually gone through a good lot of the process of filmmaking, which I know a lot of people in the who are coming out who want to be filmmakers, who are scared because they think there's so many different departments and they can only go through one. The really the the, the context of what you've been saying, as soon as you go and come up with an idea for a film, you need to start marketing and researching where you can get that audience so that as you progress that project forward you know that you're creating a product that is going to have an audience that will generate a revenue uh, uh, for your investor, basically. So I think that's fantastic. And really, if nothing else, if that's all the message that goes out today from today's show is think of your market as you're progressing your story through and developing your ideas before you go out and shoot so you know that when you do go out and shoot, you are making a product 
that there's an audience waiting for you and you've probably generated enough interest for that audience, which I think is fantastic. So before we go, any last words you'd like to just say to kind of wrap up the show there, for it? God, yeah, watch Don't Sell Me a Dog. No, <laughs> I, don't know, me a dog. No, I was sitting here coming up with the last statement <laughs> for myself going, and you just robbed half of it. But look, it's Don't Sell Me a Dog. Don't sell me a pup. <laughs> sell me a pedigree. And I thought I'll do. Brilliant. Well, look, thanks everybody for watching. See us uh, every Friday, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. All the best. Hope you enjoyed this video. Please subscribe and click on the bell for notifications.